Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. I'll end the reading by saying, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Listen as I read the word of God. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. So... Georgia and Georgina belong to the same gospel community. You know, they've never been to each other's house before. So Georgia decided that um, her daughter's birthday party would be the perfect time to invite Georgina over. So one Wednesday evening after theology day, um, she looked around for Georgina. Where's, where's, this, where's this lady? But she had stepped out immediately. So she found George, Georgina's brother, who was still looking around, and then he gave George, the Ivy, and say, okay, let me give it to your sister. My daughter's birthday party is on Saturday. So later that night, she called Georgina like five times, you know, just tell her that um, I'm sorry that I sent the Ivy late. Um, I just want you, I would really love for your family to be around you, your kids. Georgina had two boys. So she simply sent messages. She sent messages you know, just to. But. <clears throat> Georgina would not pick. Georgina would not respond to the messages. Um, she just thought, okay, at least George will give her the IV. Um, these calls and messages are just for courtesy sake. But this Georgina, she, she can be very difficult. Though. It's always for me busy, 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 busy every time. So Thursday night, no word from Georgina. Friday night, no word from Georgina. Saturday morning, still no word from Georgina. Georgia thought, eh, maybe it's for them to just show up. Okay. Later that night, Georgia complained to her husband, Mr. Plackinson, about Georgina not showing up. He said, ah, really? You invited her? He said, yes, I, I did. He said, ah, boy, boy, I saw her when I saw my friends off, my friends that came from work 
I said, where? Where did you see her? So I saw her in the estate now. Just that block before the main gate. See, ah, that woman self. And then Georgina just started. I knew it. That woman is too proud to take criticism. I knew it. It was because I told her last Sunday that her, that her first child has been so troublesome in city kids' class, has been so troublesome in church. I even shared tips with her. I even told her that you, Joseph, you, you, are, you are a stay-at-home mom. We should be doing better. We that were working, go on. We try. We try. <laughs> so she was in this estate. She has no excuse. So early Sunday morning, Georgia woke up. And she wrote a lengthy, stinging rebuke of an email. Confronting Georgina about her pride and hypocrisy. She said, I hope that she'll finally be able to learn from this. I know. This one, she will learn. So that morning, Georgia walked into church. You know, the moment she just walked in, George just ran towards Georgia. And I said, ah, I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Please, I, I, I could not give um, um, Georgina the, the IV. A lot of See, that Wednesday, that Wednesday night, our house was boggled. Many of our properties were stolen that night, like many of our properties. Even the car that night, like they just attacked us with the car, no? our, our laptops, our phones, our stuff. Even the IV was inside the car. We've been sleeping in a family friend's house you know, since, since that day. So before Georgia can respond, Georgina walked up to her with a warm smile and she said, Georgia, like, something happened last week and the way my kids behaved, I just knew I had to take more seriously the advice you gave me last Sunday. I, I, I just know. You know, I will tell you more after q and um, Thank you very much. Georgia was dumbstruck. All she could think about was the email subject title <laughs> that she had sent. She has titled that email, How Could You Be So Proud and Insensitive? You see, um, Georgia suffers from what the Bible calls censoriousness. Some of us know it as judgmentalism. I call it Parkinson's disease. So do you think you have it? Um, because it manifests in different ways. And how do you know that you don't have it? What are its causes? What are the symptoms? Is there a cure for this Parkinson's disease? For 10 weeks now, we've been, um, we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew 5 to 7, where Jesus both proclaimed who the citizens of this kingdom are and how they should live. There is the kingdom, and Christ is the king. There are citizens in that kingdom, and Christians are the citizens. We've seen that Christians ought to be contrite. Christians would be persecuted. They are missional. They are righteous. They are broken. They are restorative. They are wealthy. They are prayerful. And Christians are confident citizens. So today, the 10th week, we would be saying that citizens of the kingdom are humble citizens. And we're looking at it in three ways. Humble citizens, why they are so rare. Humble citizens, what they look like. Humble citizens, how to become one. So humble citizens, why, why are they so rare? What do they even look like? And how can I become one? Why are they so rare? Lola um, Lukogmo, she writes for Develop Magazine and for City Church Lagos blog. She's a self-identified surreal babe. So in her article, The Road Less Traveled By on Humility, speaking of Lagos, she writes, 
in a sandin city where power is the true currency and humility is deemed the language of the poor, there is a strong case to be made for being hard and seen at any cost, not just for prominence, but for survival. Lagos is much about who you know and ensuring that people know you know who you know. <laughs> As humans, we crave relevance and respect from family, friends, colleagues, and even strangers. We use this as a proxy to measure our value in the world. Essentially, when people disrespect or ignore us, they might as well say, you are of little value to the world. Your existence is inconsequential. One thing is very clear, all right. You either dance to the tune of our aggression and arrogance that the city detects, or face stagnation. Which, let's face it, in Lagos, is infinitely worse than death. Is Lola exaggerating? <laughs> so in essence, Lola is saying that many people would rather die than be humble. Okay, maybe she's exaggerating. But one thing is clear, that there are very few humble people in Lagos. But why are they so rare? Humble citizens, humble people are rare because most people suffer from Parkinson's disease. Most people suffer from judgmentalism. And what is Parkinson? Let's go back to our text. In verses 3 to 4, what do we see? We see Parkinson's disease defined. We see judgmentalism defined. You see, judgmentalism can be defined like this. Looking for the worst faults in others and forming unfavorable opinions of their qualities, their motives, and words without valid and sufficient reason. It's in verse 3 to 4. Just take a look at it. He's saying in verse, <clears throat> verse 3 to 4, he said, Why do you talk about the speck in your brother's eyes when all the time you're not paying attention to your own? He said, How do you tell your brother that let me take the speck from your own eye when you've done nothing about a plank that is in your own eye? So if we read three to four together, this is what we'll be seeing. There are four symptoms of this plank. There are four symptoms of this judgmentalism. First, there is a plank in our eye. Two, we do not pay attention to this plank. Three, we look at the speck in our brother's eye. And four, we try to remove it. There is a plank in your eye. You don't pay attention to it. You look at the speck in your own brother's eye or your sister's eye, and then you try to remove it. You see, this, this, this can be manifested in different ways. In scripture, we see one in particular in, in Samuel, in First Samuel, where Anna was in the temple praying, and then Eli from afar, who did not know the background story of, of Anna whatsoever, and then assumed that Anna must have been drunk. She's drunk. Not knowing that Anna had several issues. She was so troubled and so full in her mind, and she was making a request known to God in that manner. He judged Anna. But what about Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew 12? When Jesus had cast out demons from a man that was dumb and deaf, they say, no, no, we know. We know how this man does it. He's doing it by the spirit of Beelzebub, they say. How do they know? Without valid and sufficient reason. In real life, we have, we have many examples. Or someone misses your calls or does not reply your emails. You say, that guy is just avoiding me. What if his house was bogged and his food has been stolen? Your boss does not give you a raise. You say, I, this man is just greedy. Greedy someone with all that he has. Just come on. What will what what uh, 10% do, do, do to him? 
What if the man is struggling with the business, trying to say, in fact, the man is struggling. If he really does everything he wants him to do, you will not even have a job because the business will crash. Or you bring um, a suggestion to the elders of the church. And you suggest, we should do things like this. We should do it like this. You know, no, no. And also, no, we're not. You know, we're not um, taking that now, blah, blah. And just go back and telling people. In that church, oh. If they are narrow-minded, it's what they want to do that we do. You don't even think that God may be leading the elders in a different direction for a different priority. Without valid and sufficient reason, you made your conclusions. You see, it's likened to, like, there's a lady who went to the airports, <clears throat> and then she sat down in the lounge, um, and then some guy came to join her, and she was eating her cookies, you know, cookie, and the cookie pack was just beside her, her chair, on the table, on, by, just by where they're sitting, and she was eating her cookie, and the guy just came, and the guy just deep hand into the cookies, and just started joining her and be eating her. She noticed, she was looking at her. What kind of... So you know, at least maybe eat one and stop. You know, just be kind to strangers. You don't know what can happen. This might be my, my angel at the plane of memory. <laughs> you know, this might be angel that's going to. So they kept kept on, and then you be eating this thing, and you go to uh, the final cookie. At least, uh, uh, <laughs> leave my one cookie for me now. And the man took one cookie, and then he broke into two. <laughs> and then have the cookie. She wouldn't. She to pour out like vent as spray on the guy. But let me just chill and calm down. And the man just stood up and walked away. He never said, he never, he never said thank you for the cookie. <laughs> so just, ah, what's up, what's up? And so her time, was, um, her time was to go join the flight. And then she just opened her bag and she found her, her box of cookies. All along, they've been eating the man's cookie. <laughs> you see, so some of us, we are so harsh on jam because the jam snake stole a lot of money. <laughs> but while many of us still keep downloading movies and books online for free from pirated websites, <laughs> judgmentalism, mm. you accuse your child of being sloppy, sloppy child. You cannot even ah, move. Walk, walk, walk. You just look like your father's mother. <laughs> sloppy. But the reason why you've been late to church every Sunday for the past four weeks is because you spent like two hours bathing and doing makeup. Judgmentalism. You might not still be convinced. Let, let, let's, let's do a checklist. How do you know? How do you know that you might, you might be suffering from judgmentalism? You might practice in this. You have this Parkinson disease. Parkinson disease is that the speck in your brother's eye looms larger to you than a plank in your own eye. That is what Parkinson disease is. So are you always looking for failures and mistakes in other people? When you're jealous about someone, do you even have a tinge of pleasure when you find out about their weakness or their sin? Do you take thoughts of little importance, of significance, and you magnify it beyond proportion? Are you disappointed when no thoughts are found? You see, some of us even practice what I call um, inverse discernment. Is it because you tend to be so good with discerning people? When you try to discern, discern stuff, and you see no thoughts happening, you're unhappy because you don't find anything. You see, when, when, you, even not, when you not discover that the speck that you're trying to find is an illusion, you keep hunting for another. 
You speculate. You speculate. You conjecture without knowing the complete facts. You abuse your faculty of judgment. Or you don't feel sound unless you are constantly condemning and denouncing people. You undermine something true that someone has said because you don't want to hear it. You always want to win arguments. You even abuse scripture and wisdom and fake facts on the spot to do so. You always want to be right. No definition is enough for you. You are not even looking for a sign of grace in people. Their addiction, their dressing, their makeup, everything's always bad. You punish and attack people by embarrassing them. It's like one of my relatives, the way he likes to kill cockroach, he whips the slippers on the cockroach on the wall. The cockroach falls down. He whips it again with broom. He whips it again. And the only time his wife is holding him, I say, honey, he's dead. Now honey, he's dead. And I say, no, he's not dead. He smashes it with his leg, does it like this. Until that milky inside comes out. That is how some of us trample people. We punish and attack them till they become nothing. But what is the cause of this Parkinson's disease? See, it is preoccupation with self. It is self-centeredness. It's pride. It is, and it is often manifested in two ways. You are either playing brother or you are playing God. Look at verse 7 to 3 to 4. 3 to 4, you see there. You say, the speck in my brother's eye. Yeah, you are forming brother. But you are thinking of yourself more. And you're thinking of your brotherless. This is how this pride operates. Let me show you what, how C.S. Lewis defines pride. C.S. Lewis says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Odrisco, pastor of Trinity Church. He says, humility compares us with our sinless savior, but pride compares us to other sinners. You see, what we really want is a sinfulness scale. Where you say, which sin is most sinful, which sin is less sinful. So I'm on like one, um, Tommy Wise is on like seven. <laughs> and then you, yeah. I know I'm saying, but it's more sinful than me. We want a sinfulness scale. It is ourselves we are concerned about. You see, he's expressing maybe in like selfishness or jealousy. Some, just self, self, self. When others stand in the way of what you want, you strive so hard to bring them down, to diminish their credibility in any way you can. I hear you are trying to date Gozier, but do you know that she almost got church discipline last year? I don't know what she did, though. <laughs> But character is important. <laughs> but you see, men are scum. They are douchebags. They are scumbags. Because they are yet to be married. Because you've not found someone to date. Self. Self-righteousness. could be self-righteousness. You know, when you've done something wrong, I don't want to admit it. You know, one of the things we do is to just draw attention to what people have done and then we magnify it. Yeah, maybe you're a teenager here. We just did one of my younger. What of that time you took daddy's wristwatch or mommy's shoe? That day, that day that you went. <laughs> because you are trying to, because someone has caught in your own act and you're trying to divert attention. What of that day you went to Ikoi GC and you didn't bring jello fries for me? 
because you want to watch Z-World alone and you want to enjoy this ice cream by yourself. And he's accusing you. You judge people because of this. Or you lack confidence in your own beliefs and your positions and, and you fear that people might disprove them. So you conclude that the best form of defense is attack. So what do you do? You lash out at their views. You judge them before they can judge you. You two, you two. Which club do Ronaldo score his first Madrid go against? Which, which you two? Because he had asked you a question before and you could not answer. Or some of us, we've already made preconceived notions. We've concluded in our minds about people, about their religion, about their gender, about their status, about their race. So we just try to validate our own views by interpreting their own negatively. Those people are too proud and stubborn. I've worked with an Ijebu man before. I know their type. They are all the same. They don't take advice. So are you saying all is equal to everyone you've met. Is that all? Yeah. Have you met Femi Oshuni? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's unforgiveness. You know, you find, you are finding faults in people just to conceal the hardness of your heart because someone had, your husband had, you know, had, had done you wrong and you've not forgiven him. It blinds your eye. You're just concerned about yourself and you just keep finding ways to just judge him. All he cares about is his career. All he cares about is his own extended family. But how did you start your business, lady? Who funded your PhD program? Because you forgot your birthday. Unforgiveness has blocked your eyes. And you're just selfish. You see, what, why are we doing this? Because we're trying to make you feel like it's about our brother. But no. What we are saying is that if you've not benefited me, if you've not agreed with me, if you've not supported me, if you've not fulfilled me, if you've not satisfied me, if you've not demonstrated love for me, I'll judge you. Mm. You know, Kela, the former pastor in New York, says that it is ego. It is our ego. It's, it's so empty, and we're trying to fill it with whatever. We're just trying to just fill up ourselves with some self-recognition. It's, it's painful. All our sins are paining us. They are giving us trouble, and we just want to find a way. It makes us busy trying to find faults here and there. Jesus is saying that when you condemn a fallen celeb or a fallen celeb pastor, while you know in your heart that for a long time you've been flirting with the brothers and sisters in church, he's saying you are not a brother. You are an hypocrite. Look at verse 5. He says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You consistently judge Ashley, other people's sins. While in your own heart you know you have been doing this in a different way for a long time. So you're a hypocrite, you're not your brother. You see, we can play God. This pride can take the form of playing God. You think of yourself more and you think of God less. Look at 4 to 5. You see, those who tell others, in verse 4, that look at the speck in your eye, have already ignored the call of God with a plankless and speckless eye, crying, hey, dummy, hey, IBK, let me remove the speck in your own eye. You know why? Because we can't really see the art, where the motives lie. Nobody can see the art. Only God can. First Timothy 16. It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And what if God even shows you the art? What if God shows you people's art? He gives you an ability to see people's art. Do you know what you'll find out? You'll find out that all arts are the same. They are all desperately wicked. They are all corrupt. Yours is not different. I, find, I found this out myself. One Wednesday or one Monday, and <clears throat> Tomiwa 
or a Unilag, I can remember because I wrote in my journal, 24th of October, we were in Unilag and we were there to pray. And we walked into an eatery and we started to eat for a while. And we found one, um, one lady singing on the top of our voice, lip syncing on top of our voice. And so I was laughing and mocking. I said, what kind of terrible voice is this? Said, Why is she told making this noise here? I said, no, no, the girl has earpiece in her ear. It's not like she's just trying to say, I said, yeah. And that did not justify a terrible voice, but I had mocked her, you know, without having full facts. I just realized my impulsiveness and judgmentalism. The next day in the morning, I was at work because my boss works from home. And I was on the terrace that is close to his office and the office that leads to his bedroom. I had my earpiece in my ear. And I was singing loudly and jumping up, and I was praying, worshiping God. You know, it was this powerful crown lyrics by you song goes, touching my son, I was screaming, and crying. it was around 7 a.m. And then not too long after, a few hours later, when boss had resumed work, I then called me, said, ah, that you were half asleep oh, early this morning. Like, they had a long night, and they were trying to sleep, but then suddenly around 7 a.m., they were hearing this noise. <laughs> that the noise woke them up. And then his wife came up to come and check what happened, and then he saw that it was me. Rejoicing in disturbance on your state. I realized, I wrote in my journal, I realized that I am proud and I'm worse than I think. The Lord save me. So we see that humble citizens are so rare. So, but what do humble citizens look like? What is even humility? Humility, David Brooks, a writer for the New York Times, defined it as this it is an awareness that you are an underdog in the struggle against your own sins. It is an awareness that your individual talents are inadequate to the task that have been assigned to you. It is an understanding, understanding yourself in the context of your greater divine order. We find three characteristics of humble citizens in like seven verse five. <clears throat> first, you see, is it first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from a brother's eye. Those are the characteristics of humble people. So why isn't these people don't judge at all? No, 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 I'm not saying they don't judge. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says that you dogs, Jesus called people dogs and pigs. He judged. Jesus is not like, the, please don't judge me and I won't judge the generation that we live in. Because we cannot really live without making judgments. We need to make judgment calls on who to marry in traffic, for our kids' school, for what job to take, what employee should we employ. I don't want to live in a world that is without critical judgment. Human beings, we are human beings because we can judge. Or else we'll be no different from animals. Or we'll not be different from the inanimate plank that is in our eye that we're trying to remove. We have been blessed with a faculty of judgment. You see, when you say don't judge, what is it that you're even saying? You can't, if you say don't judge, you can't even judge judgmentalism. How do you know when someone is judgmental? If you say, don't judge. So what does verses 1 to 2 mean? When he say, do not judge or you be judged. Or with the same measure that you've been measured to be judged, Jesus is trying to differentiate between what a hypercritical condemning spirit is and what a discerning discriminating spirit is. He's trying to differentiate between what a rash and hasty spirit is and what a wise use of the faculty of judgment is. So you see, humble citizens know three things. They know that the do not judge in verse 1 is a command. 
See what First Timothy 6, 4 says. They know that it's a command. <clears throat> First Timothy 6, 4 says, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions. Paul says we should not be those kind of people. So they understand that do not judge is a command. Second thing they know is that God will judge their judgments. You see, for in the same way you measure it to be measured to you. How many of us can pray the prayer? God judge me the way I judge others. The third thing, humble citizens know. They know that they should only judge when other people have admitted or when they have incontrovertible facts. That is when they make judgments. When you've seen a pattern consistently for so long and you are sure, that is when you judge. Or when those people have admitted. So humble citizens do not play God. And I'm not saying that humble citizens do not have planks in their eye. They do. They don't just have planks in They take out the plant first. You see, they take responsibility for any contribution they've made to the problem. They don't deceive by judging in their own hearts. Because, see, the worst thing about humility is that you feel... The worst thing about judging, judging people is that it's what it does to you and what you can even do. You know, some of us may not judge people, but in our hearts we judge people. People have done us wrong. So we feel the injustice of this and we feel sorry for ourselves. And then it tempts us to despise the critic, not just the critic, but all the group of people. And we say, those people, those people. And it makes us prouder of our time. They don't judge people in their hearts, humble citizens. It's humble citizens understand the implications of judgmentalism for community and mission. Because they know that if you keep judging, if you keep judging, it forms a community where everybody's judging each other. Everybody's, at, everybody's posting this Jackie Chan post. You're just defensive. I'm waiting for who's judging me. Am I going to judge back? Because they, they know that it creates a community where some people are just so judged, people are judged and judged and judged to the point where they don't even know why they are judged. Children growing up, suspecting everybody. Humble citizens see clearly. They see people. They see signs of grace. They see hearts and people. They see their hearts. They see their history. They don't see labels. They don't see things. They don't see categories. They don't see projects. They don't see issues. They don't just see every time, every time faults. No, no, no. They see people. It's like someone who's got short-sightedness or um, long-sightedness and has gotten a recommended glasses and refuses to use it. And he goes about complaining about, and look how that thing is far away. Look how that thing is short. You say, ah, no, look at this, they touch it. No, it's far away. You need to see clearly. Humble citizens see clearly because how? How do they see clearly? They see God first. Psalm 51. After David had been convicted of his, in 1 Samuel 12, when David had been convicted of his judgmentalism, when Nathan came to meet him and said, and gave him that parable that he slept with a woman and then killed the woman's husband in war. And David realized to himself how judgmental he has been. He wrote Psalm 51. And a couple of verses are important to see. David first noticed in verse 1, he said, You only, against you only have I seen. He saw God. He said, Against you only. The second thing David noticed in 51 is in verse 4. He said, you are right when you judge. He sees God clearly. 
And then third thing is he, you see the trace. He, he, he has he, he practiced the three characteristics of humble citizens. The third thing is he says that clean me, God, therefore, and I will be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God, in verse 10. It was then and only then that David now says, then I will teach transgressors thy way. Do you see the pattern? Humble citizens remove speck. They know that people need help with their eyes. But because every time something gets to a how do you know? You, you, help me come and blow my eye. You can't blow your eye yourself. But they also know that the eyes of people are delicate. They know arts are delicate. So they handle it with care. That is why every time you try to touch someone or try to open it, your eyes try to close by itself. So they handle people with care. They do the long, dirty, hard work of building others up. But most of us, we hate the assholes, we hate the death, we hate the risk, we hate the commitment, we hate the concern. We don't want to be infected by other people's problems. We prefer to do it long distance. But the labor of love is often inefficient. It's a slow walk. There is no Excel sheet for it. There is no HAP. So these are what humble citizens look like. But how do we become humble citizens? My final point. How do you become one? Do you become a humble citizen by not making discernments? No, that's not that's, that's against everything we're trying to say. We say that will only make you an animal because you will not be using your faculty of judgment. Or that will only make you a plank. Or that will also that will, that will mean that you are being proud because if you don't judge people because you don't want them to criticize you then you are absorbed with self. It's still a self thing. It's still pride. So that cannot work. Is it by not having planks? Is it by not having faults? You know, everyone has faults. Even Billy Graham, the man who appeared 61 times on the most admired people's list in, the, in America for his integrity and humility, he had faults. He, he, he read several of his articles over the weekend that was published in Christianity Today. I, 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 I was saying that I'm as fallible and I'm as hearing a disciple as any of God's disciples. Is it by being yourself? You know, believe that you're good and you are humble, you know, deep down. But do you think you are? Or is that not even pride? That, that, is, also, that is ironic, right? You're trying to make yourself, that, is, that, that, that cannot work too. Oh, maybe you say, okay, so it's by imitating people. You know, do the things that humble people do. You know, do the things that humble people really do. But you cannot become a humble person by imitating an humble person. It won't last. In fact, that is not how humble people became humble people. The question we want to ask ourselves is, how do I become a, a humble person, a person who wants to live humbly naturally? How do I become a person who does not want to put people down who does not put people down, yet still exercises my, my, my faculty of judgment gently and softly and sweetly in a way that builds people up. So if you meet a humble person, you will not be saying that that person is humble, really. You'll be saying, man, that person cares about me so much, more than he cares for himself. So how do we? When you say that I'm a discerning man. People are just stupid. You know, it is not me. I, I can't just help but just lambast them. You know what you're saying? You are saying that you are in bondage to your self-esteem. 
Because people will keep disappointing you. You will not just be judging others. You will be judging yourself, a discerning man that cannot even discern how to treat others gently. You are condemned by your own standards. And you can't meet God's. But what if you can be free? Christianity teaches that God judged a man without the history of plank or plantings in your place. That God judged Christ in a way he did not deserve so that he can judge you in a way that you don't deserve. Isaiah 53. Look at it in Isaiah 53. It says that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He said, yes, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But when you say this is my department, my business, you know, I will crush anyone who tries to prevent you from thriving. You know what it means is that your reputation of success means everything to you. But something or someone stronger than your employee or you can crush you. The governments can come with policies. Innovation can come. And then disrupt the market. So you can't fill up that ego. It's too big. It's too fragile. But what if you already have what you are looking for? Non-Christian, what if you can have what you are looking for? There is a king, the king of this kingdom we've been talking about. He made himself of no reputation. He came down to die for you and he said, take my glory. Philippians 1. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to struggle for it. You don't have to also for it. You have it. You don't have to. Now look at verse 6. This is the final one. This is the one most... This is, the, this is the most precious in verse 6 of the text that we read. Matthew 7, verse 6. You know, he's saying, My spouse deserves all the maltreatment they are getting from me. She, she's just ungrateful. He's just ungrateful. He, he doesn't value me. She doesn't value me. See what verse 6 says? It says that dogs and, and pigs, you, you cast pears before them. They are sacred. They don't know what is the value. And then they turn and tear you into pieces. Christ cast his peers before his people, but he despised him. Him in whom God is well pleased, cast himself before us, but we tore him to pieces. The dogs and pigs that we are. You see it in Isaiah 53. God tore Christ to pieces on the cross. He was scourged, he was speared, he was nailed, and he was crowned with thorns for our sake. So that now God can receive us as precious pearls. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of the kingdom. You know, do you, have, do you want to become a humble person? You delight in Christ. You consider Christ like a jeweler will consider him. You do this in prayer. You rejoice in the word of God like one who finds great spoil. And then you see yourself becoming a humble person. You see yourself becoming a person who... Who does not put people down, but yet still criticizes them gently and softly. And if you're not a Christian here, do not be judgmental. Judge this Christianity thing carefully. Judge Christ carefully. If you're unsure about the fact of his resurrection, of his death, of his life, I want you to consider all the facts before you make a conclusion. I want you to see everything. I want you to consider the consequences. I want you to consider humble Christians. 
And I assure you that you will see that Christ is a pearl that is peerless. Let us pray. Father, we do not know how to, um, to consider you, to know your work. We, we, it's not in us. But we pray that you would help us by your, by your spirit. And those who are not yet trusted in you, that you help us to see you, how beautiful, how precious a pearl you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.